Hello, and welcome to the Marotska Method podcast. I am your host, Adrienne Jezik. Here we get to talk about our personal growth and the ways we can express our vulnerability through authenticity. I create a space for my guests to share their experiences with deliberate cold exposure, and we talk about changing our health and our lives to focus on wellness. I share my journey and yours, focusing on mental, emotional, and physical health. Together, we face the challenges of growth through discomfort. Join us as we biohack our way towards a better life. I have a very special guest with me here today, JR. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Would you introduce yourself for our audience today? Yeah, um, I'm JR. I'm an actor uh, out in LA. Uh, I came across you guys uh, really just upping, trying to improve my practice um, with keeping myself calm. I guess that's the simplest way to say it. Um, I did some research into what makes us calm and what makes us anxious. And I discovered our sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems. And I found that cold immersion therapy is one of the best ways that you can activate that parasympathetic nervous system. So that's really how we kind of came across each other. But yeah, I played football at Stanford University, went to the Raiders shortly after, somehow made my way down to Los Angeles and uh, fell into acting, you know, modeling this whole world down here. And uh, it's been, it's been the ride of my life so far. That's outstanding. And I think that touches on a little bit of deliberate cold exposure too, because you essentially have chased discomfort. I mean, you don't go into football because it feels nice. It's not fluffy. You know, you're going through discomfort, but you get a reward through that. Yeah, totally. I think when you when you first said that, I, I thought about this 2% thing. So my dad is like, you know, he's conservative. So for him, the idea of trying to play football, you know, going further than high school, you know, going into college, thinking you can go to the pros, what it would be to how hard it would be to become an actor, you know, to just be able to do that as you're living, you're constantly chasing <laughs> discomfort. So, yeah, I think I'm wired that way. Football is probably the worst place you can football practice is probably the worst place you can be if you don't want to be there. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Because you're just getting pummeled. I mean, yeah. It's, it's not the most fun. At least in a game, you get a break for a moment, right? Yeah, momentarily. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, you, and then you moved into acting, which is also not for the faint of heart. Yeah. That, that takes a deep reckoning with the self, right? Like you're, you're probably faced with your own existence on a regular basis and, you know, putting on different hats and different, you know, I say that you're wearing a really cool hat right now. <laughs> But putting on different hats and trying out different things and, and discovering your different levels of voice and emotion. What is that like in going through that type of discomfort? And what, how, what are the rewards that you feel from that practice? Well, you know, like coming from football, which is like, as you said, pretty tough. I think the first thing that struck me with acting was dealing with the amount of rejection. I can go on a thousand auditions and book seven of them and have had a prolific career. Right. Those jobs may have gone on for a couple of years or what, whatnot. But I mean, a lot of the people that you see out here that are doing really well faced massive, massive rejection. It's just something that has to, you know, it has to it's something you have to be able to live with. You know, you have to be OK, you know, going into your mind and birthing this character and handing it off and, you know,
maybe never seeing it again. <laughs> yeah. I felt that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what do you do if you feel like you made a mistake? I think I think this resonates with me pers- on a personal level, even just today, right? So you, you probably, you finish an audition, you walk away, you're going, oh, I could have done this differently. I could have done that differently. How do you resolve your feeling of, if you made a mistake or you want to do it differently next time? Well, I think that's always going to be there. I mm-hmm. mean, I've done some of my best work on the car ride home. Oh, yeah. But I think it anything that you want to do and that you're passionate about, I think acting worked for me because I was used to pouring my soul into something. Like it wasn't enough for me to just do a job for eight hours, clock out, and then, you know, go about my life. Like I needed to immerse myself in something. So and my journey with acting has been it's been awesome. Like I was able to work really fast after I started, you know, from just starting. And then I went through a period where I was like, okay, I'm hitting this glass ceiling. I need to, I need to continue to grow. And I think that sort of athlete beginner mindset thing sort of takes over where you're like, I'm a, let me, let me stay a beginner. Let me in my mind, let me stay a beginner so that I always think I need to do more. And I've been experiencing over the last year and a half, one of the most incredible growth phases that I've ever had uh, in anything, uh, but partly because of just how difficult, you know, this thing is. And so to answer your question, as far as like, how do you deal with, you know, maybe wishing you had done something differently? I think it has to be a lifestyle. I think it can't be something that I pick up from time to time. It needs to be like a part of the fabric of my day every day. Um, and it makes going to a meeting or an audition or even set less daunting because it's just a part of my life. It's not something that I'm, you know, putting on or picking up. Um, and I think anyone who's super passionate about anything sort of lives in that zone. Um, when I was at Stanford in my freshman dorm, I'll never forget this. You know, I had my red solo cup. I was going to some party on Friday night and, you know, and I remember passing some of my my dorm mates and they were having and one of my one of my friends he was you know they were freshmen too and they were into computer science and they were having like a programming party you know where they like where their friends came though came over and uh you know they would show each other what they had created and like they were having a party around that and I remember telling myself like yo if I just wanted to do computer science to make a lot of money because I thought it would make me a lot of money how could I compete with him that's doing it for the love he does, it's a part of the fabric of his life. It's a part of the fabric. When he's sitting on the toilet, he's reading computer digest, you know, whatever. Like I, so whatever I do after football, whatever I do after this thing, I gotta feel that. Like it has to be something that like I'm willing to do in my personal time, you know? You have to believe in it in a different way. Like you said, like it's immersive. It's gotta be a part of you. Yeah. Did something happen to create that shift in you about a year and a half ago? I was on a show for like five years. Like I said, I booked it pretty fast. But I didn't, I never went to drama school, never went to like a proper drama school. Um, I was able to sort of, you know, lean on charming, you know, reasonably good looking black guy, you know, approachable, funny, those sorts of things. That natural, just what you have naturally. I was able to play that. And I was able to do enough to, you know, it's a, it's a tough thing to be, a, to be even, to be able to even play yourself. Yeah. That's the first step. Right. But then the second step is like, okay, let's turn into an artist. Like, how can I play other people? How can I really take on things? How can I create things that are away from myself? 
And I found that I could keep doing what I was doing, right? Or I could enter through the narrow gate, if you will, and open up this world where I become a craftsman. And the thing I learned, I keep going back to football. What I learned was it was the, when your speed goes down, when you're, you're not as big anymore, when you're not the you know sharpest, the quickest guy anymore, the guys that hung around were the craftsmen, the guys who had technique, the guys who didn't need to be as fast, but they just had, they knew what to do, right? They hung around. So that was something that I wanted, you know, with my acting career. I wanted, I want to be a craftsman. I want to have the sort of the skills where I don't have to be the best looking guy in the room. I don't have to be, you know, the full of uh, just the physical attributes, right? I can convince you that I'm this person because of what I can do. So that was my sort of awakening, if you will, in adversity. Like some of it was perfectionism. Mm-hmm. I had to really deal with perfectionism. Perfectionism is a thing in football that's rewarded. Mm-hmm. It's a thing, you know, do it one more time. Do it till it's perfect. Do it till it's, you know, in acting and in the art world, that's not, it doesn't work. Right. Because it's not interesting. I had to, I had a big battle with perfectionism, big battle with perfectionism that I'm 80% through. Yeah. You know, it's still, it's still tapping me on my shoulder, but I mean, that was something that I knew I needed to address at some point when you get one more season and you, you know, you get another, you know, you have another year's worth of money. It's mm-hmm. not something that you have to really take on. But when you're out of work and you're staring in the mirror and you're trying to figure out ways to make yourself more hireable or to become a better artist, that sucker's looking right there at you, you know, and you know, you got to you got to take it on. That makes a lot of sense. And that's another example of you and how, how you are that chasing that growth through discomfort. You're like, I could go with the status quo. You could just keep doing the things and follow the formula or you can shake things up a bit. And something tells me that with acting, doing something right isn't about getting it the same way every time. It's about maybe delivering things a little bit differently each time so that you've got something to play with, right? Absolutely. Um, What would you say is your self-care techniques? What are your self-care techniques for when when you're hitting that grind and you're facing these challenges? What do you go to to fill yourself back up? Well, for a long time, it was exercise. Mm-hmm. For a long time, it was like my weight training routine. Like that was the thing, like even through football, like since I can remember, that has sort of grounded me. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that like, as, you know, as we get older, like exercise, I can't work out like I did when I was in my 20s. Right. Like you I don't want to. I don't want. Sometimes <laughs> I, I do. Wanna. Sometimes I want to. Like I, I'm, I'm a person that I love the gym. I can be in there for three hours and just, you know, but. I just can't do, I can't take the amount of, of stuff that I used to do to my body. You know, I found myself like pulling a calf muscle, like on a jog. Like, wait a minute. <laughs> You're like, what, this what, wasn't in the plan. <laughs> what, what, what just happened? I've never pulled my calf muscle in my life. <laughs> and I just pulled it like running for 30 minutes, like, you know, in the neighborhood. So it was exercise, but I realized that um, I needed to be smarter about it. So that's when I sort of got into the biohacking you know, world, which is some of the stuff that we talked about earlier. Um, I knew I had some, I have some injuries from football. Mm-hmm. You know, I had shoulder surgery a couple of times. Um, I've had concussions yeah. in the past. So I knew that there were things that, I knew that there was a way to optimize. I guess my whole, I, I, as I think about it, a lot of what I do is about trying to get the most out of myself. 
about, about optimizing. Obviously, working out is that. You know, you're trying to get everything you can out of your body. It used to be physical performance. How fast can I make myself? How high can I jump? How strong can I get? And you do that as football players. I was a running back, but you do that for performance, but also for durability to be able to take the amount of hits that you take, you know. But I never thought about like sort of I never thought about that with regard to my brain. And I think that's where I've entered now. We talk about what do I do to take care of myself, because now it's all about how can I get the most out of my brain? What would you say was your first biohack? What was your first introduction to what biohacking is? That is a great question. My synapses are... <laughs> You're all fired. Um, I would say the sauna. The sauna is something that I knew. I had bad acne mm -hmm. growing up. Mm -hmm. And when I, would use, when I would do sauna regularly in high school, um, like my skin would clear up. Yep. So I just like was all about the sauna all the time. I didn't know it was a biohack. Now the question is, my first known biohack or yeah. just the first biohack that I well. experienced? Give me what you got. So my first known biohack, once I was sort of in the world, was sleep. Oh. Like. People like, don't think of sleep as a biohack. Our rings and give them everything. Like, you don't always think of sleep as, as being like a number one biohack. Oh, please tell me more. Sleep is the number one biohack. I agree. Like, I can't, I can't even, I can't yell it loud enough. You could be doing, I mean, you've seen my, I have all these different modalities, but like. Without sleep, none of them, they're just Band-Aids. Yeah. Right? Sleep is the one. Like regular sleep, going to bed at the same time, waking up at the same time. Doing it at night in the dark versus during the day in the sun. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I have different seasonal depressive disorder. I have like these glasses that shoot light into my eyes if I want to sort of change my, my clock a bit. Um, I use blue blockers at night if I'm going to be uh, on, you know, if I'm going to watch television too late once the sun's down or I need to be on my computer or something um, because I'm constantly trying to regulate that system. The more the more it's regulated, all the neurotransmitter talk that we've had, like the better those operate hands down. It's not even a question. And what is your what is your ultimate sleep hack? Like what how do you prepare for your you do like a six hour, seven hour, eight hour. Uh, so I allow my, in a perfect world, mm -hmm. I'm going to allow myself nine hours. Ooh. Because what I've realized, like tracking on these rings, um, uh, if I allow myself nine, I'll get eight. Okay. I'll get a solid eight. Yeah. So I need to allow myself nine or more in order to get like that sort of, because you're, you're going to spend 45 minutes to an hour just doing nothing. Or you'll be awake. At, at least you know? until you start doing an ice bath 90 minutes before bed. True. Yeah. But there's also a problem with going to sleep too fast. Right. Right. Because if you go to sleep too fast, then you were you you needed it too much. Right. Yep. You're you not. You sleep too hard. Then you wake up around 3.30. You can't mm -hmm. fall back asleep. Yeah. That's a whole. Hacking your sleep, I think, is an excellent biohack. And I think each one of us is different. And I think based on the things that we're doing, we need different things. Right. So like when I'm traveling, I get really excited. I want to be up before the sun. I would be out really late and I probably need a little bit more sleep. Like when I'm traveling and I'm going, I'm going or I'm doing. Whereas when I'm at home, you know, you got your routine, everything's where it needs to be. It's a lot easier to just slip into that. You know, I usually do like six, seven hours, but that makes sense. Well, that's because you're superwoman. I, I feel like superwoman sometimes. You're a hands yeah. down superwoman. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. You saw me lift that forge today all by myself. 
I sure did. I was not by myself. I sure did. I used JR's I actually, muscles and Jason's muscles a lot. No, no. I, I took my hands off just to see if you still had it. You, <laughs> You're lucky you still got a forge on your roof, buddy. <laughs> so, so sleep is the number one biohack. And I agree with that. I think that's really fantastic. What did you discover next? Because that must have opened some doors. Like once you realized, hey, there's, there's a trick to this. There's more to this. Well, I was doing cryotherapy. I didn't know cryo. I, I was doing cryotherapy before I knew of biohacking, really. Um, mm-hmm. But I just increased that sort of uh, expression in my life. And did you get into it for the muscle recovery and for like the repair and the healing? So I did that in college. Mm-hmm. So in college, we took ice baths every day, almost yep. after practice, you know, for inflammation. But I, what I realized, I didn't. I didn't love them in college because I didn't feel like they increased like my performance. Now doing, now researching, I realize why you, you want to do it at a certain time. You don't want to do it like too close to when you need to perform. Right. Um, so during two a days, which is when I would typically do it, you don't really have, I mean, you would do it after the last practice so that your body didn't need to, you know, um, be in performance mode. But sometimes I would do it in the middle, which is the terrible thing because you, then you'll be sort of rock solid during that second practice. But now I do it 100% for parasympathetic nervous system stimulation. Mm-hmm. 100%. Some anti-inflammatory property, you know, I was doing the cryotherapy, you know, the chambers. Mm-hmm. You know, I would do it once a week just to sort of calm down inflammation from workouts and stuff. But I really think it needs to be a daily practice thing. And I was kind of, you know, jumping in once a week or so. I think that's true as well. I think that when I started deliberate cold exposure and we're in the backyard and we'd get it once a week because we were either making ice or buying ice. We didn't, we hadn't, Jason and Tom had not yet invented the forge for me. So once we had a prototype and I could do this daily, it was almost like that was the answer. It didn't matter what the question was, you know, was, did I have sore muscles? Um, and, and I've reversed three autoimmune conditions. So was I having symptoms of autoimmune? Did I have, I, I break out in hives all over when I'm allergic to something inside and out. So was I inflamed on the outside or the inside and did it need to tackle that? What I noticed the most though with deliberate cold exposure versus cryotherapy is the way that it produces the norepinephrine and the dopamine in the body and the way that you're teaching yourself to breathe through that fight or flight response. Those are the tiny little techniques that then translate into day-to-day life that translate into, okay, I'm in this really stressful situation. Am I going to have emotional dysregulation or am I going to take a pause, take a few deep breaths and then move through that discomfort? And I think that these are the changes that you're going to start to see when developing a cold water immersion practice, a deliberate cold exposure with the water, bringing down that core temperature, changing the parasympathetic nervous system teaching you to breathe through that fight or flight response. I think that's when you're going to start to really see those deeper kind of changes in the control of the mind and the thoughts and the ways that you're processing information. Similar like when you're fasting. So you fast as well. Yeah, I, um, I do 16 hour fast almost every day mm-hmm. and then I'll do a 36 hour fast. Uh, I've been doing it for about a month now. Uh, every Sunday, uh, I do 16 hour for the 16 hour fast. It's more of a metabolic fast. So I'll do coffee. I'll do water. I'll do, you know, Himalayan sea salt. Mm-hmm. I'll do apple cider vinegar. Uh, that was not as strict. Mm-hmm. And then the 36 hour fast every other weekend, I'll switch between one for autophagy and one for a gut reset, which is so the gut reset will just just be water. 
Uh, I don't want my I don't want my gut to I want to completely put it at rest. I don't want anything to you know interfere with that sort of rest cycle. And will you explain the autophagy for the listeners? Yeah, so the autophagy at about 34 hours, your body starts to cannibalize the cells in your body that are holding toxins. So right at about, and you can sort of feel it because many times like that's people's hump of, you know, trying to get when you do the longer fasts. But I mean, that is, that's also an incredible feeling. I don't, I don't know if it's something that you feel immediately. I think it's something that maybe over years of doing it, you'll, you'll see the, the benefits for me. I just recognize that my, like that prolonged fast really, really, really activates my parasympathetic nervous system. We were talking before, like I, I experimented with microdosing psilocybin. Mm-hmm. I've never done LSD before, uh, but we'll look into it at some at some point. The psilocybin uh, also increased uh, my my parasympathetic nervous system. But as we were talking before, like you become so sometimes too introspective for things that sort of I want to do on a daily basis. For some days, amazing mm-hmm. time in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, it increases that 100%. Um, I don't know if anyone, anyone's tried, uh, if anyone's tried methylene blue. That's also uh, a nootropic, if you will, mix of caffeine, a little methylene blue. Um, something in nature can be great to experience. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm a fasting supporter for sure. Well, and I think there's something to be said too for the fast. You were talking about getting over that hump. And again, that's the leaning into the discomfort. We have a choice when we're fasting and we get really hungry. And this is something I explain to people a lot. When you're fasting and you're hungry, you have a choice. You can back off and go eat something and say, you know what? This is hard. I'm going to go eat. That's it. I'm done. Or you can lean in. You can move through that discomfort and see what's on the other side. I have been greatly rewarded with seeing what is on the other side of discomfort. And I think there's a parallel in deliberate cold exposure practice to that because when you're in the cold and you're hyperventilating, you have a choice. Are you going to give in and stand up and get out? Or are you going to move through that discomfort, find your breath and be in charge, move through that discomfort, get to the other side and experience the rewards. We are always stronger than we think we are. Always. The things that we think we cannot do we absolutely can't. It is a choice. It's a choice of the mind. And what it sounds like you're doing is you are strengthening the resilience of the choices in your mind by leaning into this discomfort and getting to the other side. So what other biohacks do you do besides the, you know, focusing on the sleep and fasting? We've covered those. What else do you do? So I just have to make a point on what you just said please do so you know tom and i were talking about the application of all of this like into acting mm-hmm. and what you just said hits on something within something called the alexander technique yeah which is really helps you to sort of move your body more effectively with alignment particularly with the shoulders and the head but the first rule of alexander technique is something called inhibition and it's basically the space between stimulus and response and it's learning how to navigate that space and how to use that space. It's the thing of me telling you, like, get up, right? And you not doing it, but actually not just like getting up because I told you to get up, but taking the second and then getting up. Yeah. Thinking, that's, that's why small, am I getting up? That small mm-hmm. thing of just not being reactive. Because think about how much we are reactive to every day, right? We can be reactive to so much. I liken it to when, 
you know, a casting director or someone, you know, if you're in a meeting or the, you know, the secretary or whoever says it's time to come to the meeting, right? It's time. You're up. That whole thing of versus, hmm, okay. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's that space where you get to make the choice and you choose to do the thing as opposed to having to do the thing. You're creating a space between the thing that is happening and your response to it. Yeah. Scott Carney in his book, What Doesn't Kill Us, calls that the wedge. And he has written a second book called The Wedge to expand on what that means with the practice of deliberate cold exposure. Part of what you're learning in deliberate cold exposure is how to expand that space and what to do with it. And that in and of itself is a biohack. Oh, for sure. Not being reactive. So like even as you were telling me this story, and you showed me the physical example of, okay, the meetings are get up and let's go. And you jump up. It creates that excitement. It creates that, you know, you get that surge, that, you know, that excitement surge. I don't even know what those chemicals are called right now. But the way that you stand up when you do that versus, all right, yeah, let's go do this meeting. You know, it's a completely different physical space. And when you stand in control, I didn't stand because someone told me to stand. I stood because it was time for me to stand. You are already more in control, in which means that you're going to be more prepared for whatever happens in that meeting, right? Yeah, and it's about, you know, it's, it's whatever neurotransmitters it is, it's the excitatory ones. And the excitatory ones, you know, we talk about sympathetic, parasympathetic. I like to go to that all the time because how the body physicalizes anxiety, it's like a tiger's chasing us. So that's yeah, where that like the neck, the neck goes up. The physical manifestation of it is the heart beats faster. You're in fight or flight mode. Heart beats faster. Neck goes up. You're ready to run. Mm-hmm. And it's about not being there when you don't need to be there. Right? It's about not being in that activated state when you don't need to be there. Because my claim is that your brain, your mental acuity is not there. That, that finding the pause is far harder to do when you're in that state versus what it is that we're talking about. Yeah, that space right before that state, that pause that you take before you get to that state. I think that's something that, and I'll say this, deliberate cold exposure has, has taught me. I never thought in a million years I could ever be a person with a filter. I always thought like, oh, I'm just gonna be that, I'm gonna say the inappropriate thing, I'm gonna say the thing that's in my head because I have no way to stop it before it gets to my mouth. Through my practice of deliberate cold exposure, I'm learning that not only do I have a filter, but I know how to activate it. I now know how to take a pause. That is a beautiful thing to me. That's that's something that I really thought was just unattainable and then happened as a side effect of my practice. And I'm going, wait a minute. I'm not, I don't always have to be reactive. I don't always have to be, and I can call it dramatic, I can call it passionate, I can say expressive, I can say all these different things that I use to explain why my emotions don't allow me to take a pause, and I can learn how to create that space to take the pause. Mm. I love that. Tell me about this red light you've got over here. Yes. So I have this uh, four beautiful panels. Uh, it's called uh, photobiomodulation. Uh, it shoots out red light at two different uh, wavelengths and it shoots out uh, near infrared at three different wavelengths, this particular uh, company. And I do it for about 17 minutes each side oh, okay. uh, every day. And it is incredible from a 
anti-inflammatory standpoint, from a energetic standpoint, uh, one of the things that it's supposed to do is turn basically ignite your turns up your mitochondria, mm-hmm. basically um, increases your metabolism. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the, I mean the the byproducts I've found like skin skin health is better, sexual function is better, mm-hmm. so much like muscle so, stretching is yeah the whole deal light like that penetrates seven layers deep into the skin into mm-hmm. the tissue so it's it's activating the fascia it's affecting your cellular turnover it's increasing that cellular turnover which as we age slows so mm-hmm. drastically so you're going to see fewer fine lines you're going to see more vibrant and supple skin you're going to notice that if you have a bruise it's going to heal 10 times as fast or I'm, yeah, I don't quote heal. me on that it's not really 10 times as fast it's going to heal a lot faster you're going to feel more like wolverine than our standard slow human healing selves you're going to feel more like wolverine and i love that i love that kind of concentrated energy from the good things that we get from the sun and in a way that you can do it every single day do you do that at the beginning of the day mid end do you have a preference i do it after breakfast i start off with coffee Mm -hmm. i'll go take a run Mm -hmm. i'll come back my sauna will be heated up so I'll jump in the sauna. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to jump in the cold pool right mm-hmm. after that. Jump in the forge. Yeah, jump yep. in the forge right after that. Um, and then, but typically, you know, after right out of the sauna, I'll go take a cold shower, mm-hmm. and then I'll hit my breakfast. Uh, once I'm, once my breakfast is is done, uh, then I'll jump in front of that as I start my day. But I also have like you talk about my other biohacks. I have this. Um, oh yeah, tell me about this. I basically have this thing that delivers the photobiomodulation plus the near infrared to your brain so it has like four electrodes on your head and then it has another one that you put in your nose and it shoots into the front of your brain because it's able to penetrate that soft tissue there and that is probably my favorite biohack thus far what's it called it's called a neurogamma a neurogamma yeah where do you get a neurogamma it sounds um, like I have to call Bill Gates or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, who do I call? What way to what way to hundred number do we get a neurogamma? I think the company's called like Vilite or v, okay. V-Lite. Um, but they're incredible. Yeah. I got my neurogamma and it I've I've never felt something without coffee that gives me that it's the feeling that you get if you meditate for a really long time at the end. Oh, and you're really good at it. And you're, if you're really, yeah, yeah, if you're a really good meditator, a practiced meditator, <laughs> yeah. exactly. When you talk about, like, my test is always how fast can I memorize stuff? Mm-hmm. And can I regurgitate it later? Yeah. Right. And did I, you really retain it? Did I retain it? And did I retain it not just from a cerebral level, but like, is it in my body? Like, can I, can I connect my emotions to it? Yeah, because there's, there's regurgitating the words and then there's feeling and knowing and being those words. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So that is one of my favorite things thus far, hands down. How long have you been using that as a practice? About three weeks, uh, a month. Okay. Yeah. All right. So that's relatively new, but you're already seeing the effects. Already. And how, 100%. how often are you using that? Is that every day? Every other day for 20 minutes. Every other day for 20 minutes. So really, if I'm really on one, I'll put that on and then stand in front of there at the same oh, time. Oh, yeah. So you stand in front of the red light. Mm-hmm. You got this, and it's a magical headset, you guys. I mean... <laughs> It looks a little scary, but mostly like, where's my VR? Like, what <laughs> what other fun things am I doing inside this That's thing? Right. Do you feel anything when it's on you? No, only at about the last four minutes. And what do are you, you feel? You just feel active. It's like coffee without drinking coffee, but also without the jitters. So you don't get the stimulant. You get like the alert. Yeah. 
That's so rad. Yeah. And you just get this like energizing the area. Mm-hmm. You know, it's energizing those cells. I'm, I'm butchering but the without, science behind it. But without it, the, you know, spike in adrenaline or whatever from caffeine, like yeah. you're not getting that. 100%. You know, hyped up inner energy from hundred percent. So you're just laser focused. And one thing, I, one hack I just found with caffeine is that if you take some theanine, about two hundred milligrams of theanine with caffeine, it sort of negates what jitters you may get, which is a nice little. You should try that one. I don't ever get jitters with caffeine, but I don't ever have more than like a cup. Well, I do sometimes. Sometimes I'll get a cold brew and I'm like, okay, halfway through. I'm yeah. going to halfway yeah, yeah, through yeah. a cold brew. Try a little theanine. You should, you could, you could just, just see, see what happens. Try a bit of L-theanine and some, and you know, a cup of coffee. And you walked me through a, a pretty intensive supplement uh, practice. You've got a serious part of your biohacking is the supplement practice that you do. Do you remember off the top of your head? 100%. All right. So I'll do, I'll rotate a probiotic. Okay. And a symbiotic or a symbiotic, which is a probiotic and a prebiotic put together. I'll, go, I'll jump to about two and a half milligrams of creatine. I'll do five, mm, two and a half milligrams of glutamine. Sometimes I split up the creatine and the glutamine uh, for break, for like morning and night. So mm-hmm. I'll do the other half at the other two and a half grams or two and a half grams at dinner. Mm-hmm. I will do a nootropic based on what day of the week that I'm in. So, you know, Monday through Wednesday, I'll do Qualia, Qualia mm-hmm. Mind. I like the caffeine-free version of it. Then I'll jump to neurotransmitter precursors that work for me mm-hmm. based off of my own sort of gene variants. I did like my DNA testing and saw what my dirty genes were, mm-hmm. if you will. Mm-hmm. So I'll do tyrosine. Let's not call them dirty genes. Let's say, you know, genes that need help. Genes that need help. Yeah. Well, I say dirty genes because there's a book out. By this guy who specializes. Does he in this call stuff. them dirty jeans? He calls them dirty jeans because but they're. It hurts my heart. <laughs> it, it's sad. It is sad. But the good part about it is, if you find that these genes are dirty, mm-hmm. that everyone can potentially have, they're the seven best genes to clean up okay. through lifestyle lifestyle choices. And that's why he calls them dirty. They're, okay. So they're not bad genes. They're just a little. They're genes to, that you can do work on. Yeah, we just need to buff them up a little bit. I like and that. if we buff them up, they can have like massive they can give us massive improvements with things that's great so you got a pretty hardcore supplement routine you stick mm-hmm. to that you're fasting your juve light your super awesome neurogamma headset got the sauna going about to start introducing the deliberate cold exposure in the mm-hmm. forge what does jr do to relax like what do you do when you're not working on you and biohacking your way through your life well, the beautiful thing is this is part of my relaxing. I love that. That's <laughs> what I wanted to hear. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. That's the beautiful thing. The beautiful thing is that it's a part of like, I actually am. I, I'm so glad I found this because like I say, I, I go sometimes so hard into my work, like my professional work that it, I, I get consumed and I need something to be passionate and to find fun and to find like, this is my hobby. Mm-hmm. You know, this is like, it's fun for me. The fact that I'm like, I tell people I'm turning into a cyborg. Like, that's my goal. I said, after this quarantine, I will, I will leave a cyborg. Mm-hmm. You know, that's my goal. The other biohack for sleep that I meant to mention to you. I also found how cold affects sleep. So you mentioned like the, doing the cold immersion 90 minutes before sleep. Yeah. So one of the things that I do is I have a chili pad. Oh, I heard of those. Oh, it's incredible. That's one of the best. That's also one of the other best things that I've ever done. And how long have you been using the chili pad? For probably three months. 
And for those that don't know, the chili pad is that thing that you lay just on top of your mattress, right? Yeah. And so imagine, you know, especially you guys in Florida and Arizona, you know that we have to get these for our dogs or else they would just die because it's so freaking hot. And they're just like these pads that fill with water and they lay on it and it's cooler. Is the chili pad filled with water or is it filled with what's it? It's water. It is water. Yeah, it's water. So, so we've reinvented the waterbed, folks, and it feels good. Except it, you don't get seasick. Which is pretty <laughs> rad. You're not like sliding into the cracks in the middle there of the night. So you've got the chili pad. And how long have you been using that? About three months. About three months. Yeah, so three, you know. Three or four months. No, it's it's 100% one of the best things that I've done. That in combination with a gravity blanket. Oh, I'm, I love my gravity blanket. Right. I feel like a burrito. Listen, I feel like the happiest <laughs> little pepita. I feel like I don't like a papoose, you yeah. know, like I'm all wrapped up and, and I tried to, I tried to get Jason into it, but my sister got it for me for Christmas. And so it's like the one person size. I'm sorry, babe. Like I'm yeah. all wrapped up over here. Got nothing for it's you. Yeah. Wonderful. Every man for himself. <laughs> Every man for himself. <laughs> the only other greatest thing than the gravity blanket is when my 120 pound dog is like literally laying on top of me. I'm like, all right, this works. Yeah. This totally works. But see, the gravity blanket was too hot for me without the chili without pad. Without the chili pad. Yeah. And that's what people are discovering. Like now that they've been around long enough that we've had a couple of summers with gravity blankets, like I can't do that. I can't mm. just do this. And that's why I like the 90 minute before bed ice bath. Then I go under the gravity blanket and I feel like, all right, this this is the stuff literal dreams are made of. Totally. Literal dreams. Literal I dreams. Love I love that. Do you do any type of uh, lucid dreaming or work while you're sleeping? I've never tried lucid dreaming. I would argue that maybe what I do during a day when I'm sort of trying to get the imagery and sort of think of the life of some of the characters that I play, mm -hmm. I would argue that some of that could fall into that. Mm -hmm. um, I find myself staring at a wall in here or pacing around in here often Yeah, during busier times. Like that is my day. Like, cause you're still connected to a deeper subconscious state. hundred percent. All, all of the images that I want to create, have to be connected to some sort of emotion or else like it's not real for me right all of our memories are connected to emotions in some way shape or form and i think you know people always talk about how do you memorize lines and stuff well it's it's when when that when that thought is connected to some emotion oh it's there you know becomes an experience yep yeah then you're just living the experience yeah but I am interested in like lucid dreaming. I like I've never you definitely got to talk to Tom. Yeah, he told he told me oh, he told man. me a bit about it. Yeah, yeah I read a... his I read his his article. On, I think Medium or mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the last messages Jason I see from him each night is I'm gonna dream on it. I'll let you know how I feel about that. In the morning. He's like I've got that. some work to do. I'm going to sleep. I'm like man, do you do you do you ever take a break? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's called going to sleep. Love he even it. takes naps apparently, but he you know he's working while he's napping. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that I think that touches on a little bit to like what you're saying, where I say, you know, when do you take a break? And we can become daunted by all these tiny little processes that we do throughout the day to optimize our bodies and our minds and our mental health. Or we can look at it as we are our greatest projects. And we get to do this for our minds and our bodies and our mental health. And I think that is a beautiful way to start entering the world of body biohacking and body optimization. Start with one little thing. I always suggest an ice bath. That's my jam. If I could never do anything else again, if they took everything else away, I would cry a little bit about the infrared, but I would stick with the ice bath. 
And I think when we start to look at it as work, it feels daunting. It feels like we're not good enough. You know, it feels like, you know, maybe, maybe we're never going to get to that ultimate biohacker life. I think that if you just take these things on as practices, start one at a time, give yourself a good three, four, five weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks, see what kind of changes one little thing is going to do for your body. Maybe it starts with an apple cider vinegar drink in the morning and a year later you're going, wow, I cannot imagine my life without making that one small change a year ago. And when you're piling all these different modalities on, when you say it, you know, in this podcast and we're going through it list by list by list, it sounds like it might be a lot of work and it's not. You thoroughly enjoy every little bit of biohacking your way to wellness. And if it's optimizing your, your sense of being, if it's optimizing your mental health and your physical health and your subconscious states, that's the reward, right? I think it's about working smarter and not harder. Mm-hmm. Like anything that I want to do, if I want to learn the language, there's going to be some grunt work to it, right? If I want to learn how to play the guitar, I want to, anything I want to learn to do, there's going to be that time period where I have to muscle it. But you get to this point where you don't have to muscle it as much. Right. And I think the thing about biohacking, which is great, is that you don't have to do everything every day. Mm-hmm. It's like seasoning. I don't put every season in my in my cabinet, like in every dish. Right. Right. It's you just a little bit. Of, yeah. Pick and choose. But I need to know what each of them like, how each of them affects me. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, there is some experimentation that sort of just goes with being routine about something for a little while. But th- because then I can figure out if I need to eliminate it. Mm-hmm. Or I like it and I want to, you know, include it. And then you can find out, you can really experience the particular practice that's perfect for you. Mm-hmm. Because my practice may not be your practice, right? Mm-hmm. Certain things may affect me in different ways. We know that just from the DNA data we can get and put into these engines like Stratagene or Found My Fitness to really get these reports back that tell us, okay, these aren't bad genes, but these are your gene variants that are different than most people, mm-hmm. right? Then you can say, oh, that's why this food affects me. Oh, wow. This is why my LDL cholesterol was so high. So for me, for instance, oh, I'm sorry. No, please. For me, for instance, I found out that like over the last maybe five years, my L- my bad cholesterol has been high mm-hmm. and I couldn't figure out why. Because I was like 6% body fat, like in good aerobic shape. Um and I didn't know why. And it had to be hereditary. I lost my mom when I was in high school to cancer. So it's always been something that like, and she always had high blood pressure and high cholesterol. So I knew because my sister has the same deal. I knew part of that just had to be like in my genetic makeup. No doctor ever told me like why this was happening. I experimented with all these different diets. I ate like I ate whatever I wanted to when I was playing football. But, you know, when you change from sort of performance training to sort of aesthetic training, you start to figure out like, whoa, okay, I need to start paying attention to food if I want to really get a six pack, like a real like bonafide. Yeah, bonafide six pack. So that sort of those were the first experiments I did with dieting and figuring out like I remember the first one I did was Arnold Schwarzenegger's 40, 40, 20, you know, 40 carbs, 40 protein. 20% 20% uh, fat diet. And I remember doing that and it worked well, but I felt like crap. Mm-hmm. I wasn't like, I was cutting up and I looked great and all this kind of stuff. But I was like, Ugh. you know, when I looked good, the, the better I looked, the worse I felt. Oh, and you don't like that. We don't like that. 
we don't like that. Now, it was okay when I was just doing, standing there or walking in the furniture store with my wife, you know, the fake, you know, in commercials and stuff. But when I need to actually, you know, use my brain mm-hmm. for whether it's lines or whether it's, you know, reading, reading all the scripts that come, um, I knew that wasn't going to be the play. And in this quarantine, I sort of said, man, there's got to be a way to work smarter and not harder. And when I started to research the the DNA, the data that the DNA reports come back with, and I found that I have a gene that overabsorbs saturated fat. So if we eat the same amount of fat, mm-hmm. I'll have more fat lipids in my bloodstream than you will, you know, or the normal person will. Mm-hmm. Um, just off top, has nothing to do with how much I'm working out. Has nothing to do with my diet is how much sleep I it's got. It's just what your body takes. It's in. just literally how my body works, right? That told me everything as to why my LDL cholesterol, my bad cholesterol would be so high with me not even knowing. Or that's coconut oil and coconut butter, and which I think is, you know, everyone says are these happy, happy, these uh, healthy fats are terrible for me. Mm-hmm. Right. Bulletproof coffee. I was a big fan of that for a long time. I thought that was oh, something that, that was just yeah. expressing my ketogenic diet. I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. this is great, you know, but. When we find those sorts of things out, then we can really start to pick and choose like what our what our biohack looks like, you know, what our particular one for us, for me, Mediterranean diet all day. Like that is where I should live. hundred percent. I love that. I love that. And that's why you can keto, but not everybody's keto is the same. That's why some people need to go vegetarian, need to go vegan. Other people I eat red meat four or five times a week and I am always happiest when I'm eating a lot of red meat. Like my body, my brain, my stamina, everything's just a lot more clear, a lot more easy, a lot more smooth. You know, I don't have those drops and those dips in energy or in stamina just because if you're feeding yourself the things that your body recognizes that your body needs and everybody is different, that's when you're going to notice it. I think in stamina, I think that's the the big one, stamina and emotional stability. Mm. Cause I definitely notice, you know, traveling, you know, a couple more cheeseburgers than usual fries with every meal. I'm going, all right. I woke up this morning, a little sluggish. I'm going, all right, well, I know why. And I know what I have to do to fix it. And it looks different on everyone. Yeah. I think that's important. I think that's just another one of those things that if we just put a little bit more energy and attention and focus on, we can really optimize even the way that our body is fueled. 100%. What kind of hobbies? I mean, aside from, you know, the biohacking and the living the dream. I mean, you're living the dream. Do you knit? Uh, my hobbies. Yeah. <sighs> Honestly, it's going to sound terrible, but aside from time with my friends which is like the human contact that I need. Like people make fun of me because when Corona hit, they were like, JR, nothing changed with you. Cause I spend so much time. Like my whole job is like here. Mm-hmm. Honestly, like what I find fun, like this morning I took a Shakespeare class with this guy uh, from New York who I never would have had a chance to study with. I never would have had a chance to study with this guy uh, aside from like him doing zoom class um, during this quarantine. I love that. I mean, literally. And I'm taking another I'm taking another course with this Brazilian instructor who's incredible. I, I hate, but it's it's my computer digest like sitting on a toilet. You love like, what you do. Yeah. I, I am so thirsty. Does that help me, you know, being a doctor in, in some show or what not not really, but maybe it does in some weird way. But it is my hot like I 
I thoroughly enjoy. Like it's fulfilling I, to you. Yeah. Yeah. Like I love it. Like I'm, I lick your, my chops. Your face is lit up. <laughs> it's so true though. <laughs> Cause it's, I sound like a dork. <laughs> no, like, no, no. I wish I could say like, well, I mountain bike and I, no, I love I nature. Like I love nature. I love the, the biohacking. I love my friends. I cherish like good people. Mm-hmm. My friends are from all walks of life. You know, I don't ride the who's famous, who's super successful train. I ride the, is this person a good person? Yeah, who's like, your tribe? Who's yeah. yeah, and it took me a while to find that here. So I invest in them. Mm-hmm. I date, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. I love that. I love that part of your craft is exploring different parts of your craft. And that type of hobby is fulfilling. If that is fulfilling for you, that is the answer. That is the trick. That is another biohack. Finding those things that we get to do to fulfill ourselves. What are you reading right now, JR? The book that's always on my desk is The Lucid Body by Faye Simpson. It's a movement technique that deals with chakras. So you create characters based off of manipulating your chakras, <gasps> right? Imploding or exploding them. It's fascinating. I'm ordering that book. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you should. Here it is right Any here. Any other um, books that have kind of impacted your life that, you know, when you're thinking of Here's ways we can be introduced to new ideas and well, Ben Greenfield's Boundless uh, was I mean that's that's been my blueprint for a lot of the biohacking stuff. Uh, that guy is is incredible. Have you read that whole book? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Tom has as well. I have not yet. It's it's a big book. It's an encyclopedia. Yeah. Yeah. Of of knowledge about ways to make small changes that add up to big results. Hundred percent. I love that. Hundred percent. I see you've got the War of Art up there. Yeah, I've got the War of we know, Art. We know Joe Rogan loves that one. Yeah, I love Stephen. I mean, that guy. All three of his books were. I spent uh, multiple mornings going through those guys. Mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. read the this autobiography of uh, this guy Jay Prince, who's um, record executive, but he uh, you know he's from the hood in like Houston and came up on the streets and. I don't know why that has no correlation to what we're talking about, but it's an incredible book. That's all that an matters. Incredible autobiography. Yeah, yeah, that's all that matters. Yeah, the J Prince. That is great. Autobiography. JR, is there anything else you want to share? I would just say I wrote on my board uh reimagining like my training protocol. Mm-hmm. I would challenge people to reimagine sort of the way in which we've been taught to do things. Like reimagine just the, I mean, if we look at just the standard American diet, right, it can be so problematic. And a lot of the things that it causes can be prevented. So I think I I would just go back to this concept of like working smarter and not harder Mm -hmm. And, and understanding that, yeah, it may take like 21 days to form a habit. But like once you get through that time, you may have done one of the best things you can do for yourself. This ring that I have that tracks my sleep, for instance, such a small little detail in my life where I sort of wake up a little, you know, wake up a little earlier and I sort of check it and I see how my sleep was. A friend of mine has the same ring and we, we, you know, we nag at each other to see who got a better score. (laughs) Right. But oh my goodness, we're forcing ourselves to get better rest. We've made a game out of it. Right. Right. How much, how much time in my day 
has that taken up? How much energy has that taken up? And now it's automatic. Mm-hmm. He'll text me his sleep's going. I'll be like, oh, and I'll make sure I get to sleep earlier. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm holding myself accountable for getting good sleep. Oh, my gosh. You know, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who's in the business also. And I realized the thing that she lacks is just discipline, just a little bit of discipline. Or if we say we want something like really just really going after it, do the thing, just actually doing the thing mm-hmm. and, 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 and creating your life around the things that you want. Mm-hmm. Letters to a Young Poet is a book that I would recommend to people to touch like every morning. I would recommend YouTube videos on James Baldwin, mm-hmm. listening to him speak. Oh, yeah. I would say try to like touch the practicing gratitude every morning. These are biohacks also. These are free ones Yeah, that you can change the trajectory of your day, changing the trajectory of your day, changing the trajectory of your life or your month. You know, we can just build from there. But all of this stuff is the same thing. Mm-hmm. And it's just about like, how calm can we be? How can we be present? Like, how can we be here right now in this moment with all of ourselves? Yeah. Not in the future, not in the past which is just where worry and anxiety and depression comes from. None of those things are here. They're behind us or in front of us. And all these things are to help us, you know, with the health things, they're just trying to, they're, they're there to clear our minds up so that we can, we can feel good right now. Mm-hmm. And if we feel good right now, then our brain doesn't have to worry about an ache here or this going on, this going on. I can actually listen to you and talk to you and experience you. So ultimately, I think that's what it's all about. Yeah, you don't have to, uh, you're on. You don't have to always think of the big picture. You can sometimes just think of what's the next step. Just what's the next step? What's one small thing I can do right now? And that happens to me when I get emotionally dysregulated. And I talk about this a lot because I think it's something that a lot of people don't like to talk about. We don't like to talk about when we get defensive and insecure and afraid and reactive. And so I like to talk about it. And I say, what is one thing I can do right now? A lot of times, all I can do is breathe. A lot of times, you know, if I'm driving in a car, if I'm in the middle of a meeting, or if I'm on the phone with someone who's, you know, maybe going through their own emotional dysregulation, breathe. Take a deep breath in. Follow where it goes. Let it out. We can start to change our lives with something as simple as focusing on the breath and the here and now. And I think that is just one tiny little example of how putting our focus on that today can change who we are a year from now. I don't have to focus on tomorrow. I don't have to think of, you know, the 18 things that are waiting for me in my next to-do list. All I have to do is what I'm doing right here, right now, and breathe. Thank you for taking this time with me today. I look forward to hearing how your deliberate cold exposure practice evolves. And I look forward to catching up again in the future when uh, that's become part of your biohacking routine. (laughs) Is there anywhere that you would like us to let the listeners know where to find you? Do you have a favorite charity you'd like us to donate to? Uh, You can find me mostly uh, my Instagrams at jrlemon2. I think I'm going to change my name to James Rock pretty soon. I just like it. R-O-C-H. Oh, yeah. Yeah, James Rock. I don't yeah. know. It just sounds more like. Feels solid. That's like a guy, you know, a, versus yeah. like J.R. Lemon. Like, wow, that's a cool guy. Like, yeah. He's cool, dude. Yeah. It's just, a, it sounds, feels, I don't know. 
it feels like the football player who decided to become an actor versus the artist. Oh, that's a trajectory. Yeah. I just revealed it here for the first time. I like it. Wow. I support it. Wow. Thank you for creating this space. You're welcome. Let me let me let that out. The last thing I'll say, this football player, Troy Palomalu, like incredible. Like this guy is old school Steelers. Okay. Got Mm -hmm. you. Incredible human. I used to train with him and we would go to this sand dune. It's called Sand Dune Park in Manhattan Beach. And it's basically just a big like hill that's like that has sand on it. But it's huge. Like I've never I don't know that I've ever made it up just running all the way. Yeah, I mean it's it's because also like the sand, like each step cancels each the other one out or whatever. So there's mo- no momentum. But I remember we were there one time and he was telling me about how he trains his spirit. Spirit training. And basically he takes a treadmill and he puts tape on the time and he turns it up as fast as he can and he runs for as long as he can. But there's no like time limit. There's no, it's all in here Mm -hmm. and it's challenging that point to when we say we can't do more. You brought up the thing of like our bodies can go so much further than we think they can. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's the, I don't know if it's the Navy SEALs that have like the 40% rule. When your brain tells you to stop, you're only 40% of what you could, you know, what you actually could Sounds do. Sounds like a Navy SEAL or a Marine thing. Yeah, Absolutely. something like that. Football taught me. I remember I pulled a hamstring in high school and like this college coach was there watching me. I was limping because we used to run these plays like again and again up and down the field. And I was limping. And I remember my coach saying, you know, quit all that damn limping. He was super hard on me. Quit all that damn limping. I just kept running. I was limping and I was limping. And after about 10, 20 minutes, I stopped limping. And I started running. And I remember that was my first breakthrough of the body isn't always in in, in alignment with the mind. And we can go so much further. I am extreme. There's no question about it. When I see something and I like it, like I dive all the way in. And like I dive all the way in right now. People... They laugh at me about that, but, but I think what you talk about as being incremental sort of in your engagement is totally possible. And I just think there's a wealth of knowledge that that's at our fingertips. And I'm so thankful to have this conversation. This was incredible for me. So excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. I want to remind you that when you can master your breath through the cold, you can master your mind in your life. Stay cold, cold friends. Thank you for taking the time to come along this journey of exploration with us today. You can follow us to learn more at www.moroscoforge.com, where we publish journal articles on all of your favorite deliberate cold exposure questions. You can also find us on Instagram at Forge, and you can hear new episodes of the Morotsko Method everywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe. And remember... When you can learn to master your breath through the cold, you can learn to master your mind through your life.